Welcome to Latina, Latino, Latinx News. My name is Mabel Jimenez. I'm a collaborator with El Tecolote newspaper and our new podcast station, Radio Teco. Today, we're going to have the first of many conversations on the topic of homelessness in the Bay Area. And we're going to start that by learning about folks known as vehicle dwellers or vehicle residents. And these are folks who live in their vehicles, whether that be an RV or a camper or a four passenger car. And to help us understand the experiences of vehicle residents, our guest today is Jessica Prado. She is a reporter and photojournalist for San Francisco Public Press, where she regularly reports on the policies and regulations that affect the homeless community. She also recently completed a Catchlight Photography Fellowship, where she documented the lives of vehicle residents during the pandemic. And in addition to all of this professional expertise on the subject, Jessica has been a vehicle resident herself for the last four years. So we're going to break our conversation into two parts. On today's episode, we're going to focus on Jessica's personal experiences, uh, the why and how she became a vehicle resident, what her daily routine is like, and how that all changed during the pandemic. And then next week, we're going to have another conversation with Jessica, where our focus is going to be on her journalistic work, including her reporting on some of the latest policies that are impacting the homeless community. So with that, it is my great pleasure to welcome to our show our amazing guest and someone who I am proud to call my colleague and my friend, Jessica Prado. So I want to welcome to our show our amazing guest and someone who I am proud to also call my friend, Jessica Prado. How are you, Jessica? I'm doing good. It's an interesting morning today. <laughs> How are you? Good. Well, thank you so much for uh, making time to to share your knowledge. Yeah, so this is going to be, this is our first episode of a, of a two-part conversation that I want us to have. And so you're really uniquely positioned as a person who both is a vehicle resident and also reports this. So that's kind of how we're going to structure our conversation. So this first episode, I really want to hear about your personal life experience. And then in our next conversation, we're going to talk more about your actual reporting work. Um, but I guess I want to start at the very beginning, Jessica, because I know that you moved from Chicago to the Bay Area to study journalism. Is that right? Yeah, I moved here in, I want to say 2014, in the summer of 2014. I, I want to start a little bit with those few years where you first arrived to the Bay Area to study at uh, at UC Berkeley. And, you know, there's always that struggle when you're a student and you move to a new town, especially one with the housing market that the barrier has. So I'm just curious, like, what were those first few years for you as a student, like dealing with that struggle? And how did that lead you to your decision to become a vehicle resident? Okay, so basically, I first moved here in the summer of 2014, uh, because I wanted to go to UC Berkeley. Um, I had applied while I was an undergrad, because I graduated in 2013. And then I worked like a whole year, 
two jobs just to save up money. Uh, so I was already living in my car then because I would just uh, I would just leave between shifts, you know, there's a work day and night and I would go home maybe like three times a week just to shower, get clean clothes. And, you know, <laughs> so I was kind of already used to that living that way. But, you know, I was doing that. Was this in, in, in Chicago? Sorry, was this before? Okay. Before moving. So that was 2013. I took a year just to save up money to move to the Bay Area because uh, I knew it was going to be really costly to move here. You know, so I, I was like figuring out like for rent, I would at least need like 10 grand, you know. Uh, so I made sure that I save up that money because um, cause when I first arrived to the Bay Area, I was living in housing, you know. I didn't come to California to live on the streets, <laughs> you know. So, so it was interesting. So I was working and I first came over here because I wanted to go to UC Berkeley, but then I actually didn't get in, you know. And then I was like, oh, shoot, so what do I do? And then I was thinking, well, I'm just going to spend another year working and maybe studying. So why not just move, you know. So that's when I decided just to move anyway, <laughs> So then they move, um, I'd move over here. I was living in San Francisco in Ingleside. Uh, I was renting in a small room, a 10 by 10 room <laughs> with another roommate. Uh, he was going to San Francisco State. And, and then I decided to also, you know, uh, study journalism because actually I applied, I applied to UC Berkeley to the School of Journalism coming from art school, right? So for me, it was like a big shift, you know, like you know, uh, just coming from the art world to journalism school. Um, I feel like I needed to learn, you know, I needed to learn more, right, in order just to get into grad school. Uh, so what I ended up doing is I went to the Community College of San Francisco, and I went into the journalism program, and I studied there for about a year and a half, and I was taking classes, you know, um, and that's how I met, like, a lot of colleagues that I know now that work at El Teco, and then they work in other newspapers in the Bay Area. And uh, So it was really good experience for me to study there at the community college because I feel like it really open my eyes to like um what it's like to be a journalist right and and Juan was a really good advisor he he was a good editor always giving you feedback and you know I you no matter where you came from he's always pushing you forward you know to be the best journalist that you can be um so and uh and you're talking about uh Juan Gonzalez right the founder of El Tecolote newspaper and the department chair of the of the journalism department at City College yeah yeah he does a lot like he really is like <laughs> the world of journalism you know <laughs> so it was really good to meet him and I feel like that really that really pushed me to actually try again you know apply to UC Berkeley and then that's when eventually I did get in you know I got in in 2016 um but it really helped out for me to go through that um, program so I would recommend it you know like I feel like a lot of people learn a lot of the skills that you know they use in the future and I actually I know another classmate that I also came from the same community college program and he also went to UC Berkeley the same year that I did uh, so definitely Juan was, you know, sending his students to keep, you know, to keep, uh, keep on polishing their skills. Uh, so then I went to UC Berkeley in 2016, but then um, it was hard, right? Because I was kind of unexpectedly, you know, I, I just wanted to try again to see if I could get in. And then, you know, I got in. <laughs> so I wasn't ready. I wasn't completely ready financially, right? Uh, and that's, what, that's one thing that I realized is like, okay, I really got to save up money because, you know, if I'm going to be going to school. Uh, it's not going to be easy for me to work a full-time job and keep up, right? So the semester, I mean, basically the six months before I started school, because I started school in the fall of 2016, I was working four jobs. <laughs> like, I literally was not sleeping. <laughs> and you know some of my coworkers, and they could tell you stories about how they will find me sleeping during my lunch break, <laughs> you know? That was the only hour of sleep I would get for the day. And then they come and wake me right. up. <laughs> 
Yeah. And to to interrupt you just uh, for a moment, uh, I guess I should uh, mention to our listeners that the way that you and I met each other was uh, working together at Sammy's Camera, uh, where I started just a few months before the pandemic hit. And so I know that I saw you (laughs) and you were hustling. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. And it was interesting, right? Because um, I still like felt like I was also supported by my coworkers, even though they knew that I was working so much. Like, it was nice that they, they were kind enough to come and wake me up so I wouldn't miss, you know, like my, my punch, punching back. Um, but it was hard, though, you know, and I could say that I tried my best to save up as much as I could, you know. Uh, but then when I started school, I, um, I basically also quit that job. I, I quit my job at Sammy's and then I was only working at Whole Foods uh, overnight because that was the only place that I could kind of like manage to work and go to school during the day. So I would work from midnight to eight in the morning and then go to campus by nine <laughs> and then probably get out of campus until like five or six o'clock at, at in the evening, right? And that was like that, like, um, yeah, like the whole semester. Uh, and then by then it was like, I was just too tired. It was hard for me to keep up with school, with my job. Like I was messing up with my job, you know, like I was just tired, <laughs> you know? Sleep deprived. Yes, I know that's not like the worst <laughs> thing. Like I never want to be sleep deprived ever again, you know? Like I went through that for four years and it's like, I don't think that's actually living, you know, like I feel like a lot of people in the Bay Area have to work so much just to have an apartment, you know, and I know a lot of people that are deprived because they have to pay their rent. And I don't think that's really fair, you know, like I feel like people should should have the means to just have a shelter over their head that is affordable to them, you know, with the income that they make and they shouldn't have to sacrifice all their time and, you know, and their health, you know, to, to just have have that. So... I could say that I tried. I did try to stay inside, but, you know, that eventually just wore me out. And and I think that's when I decided, it's like, okay, well, I still have a year and a half of school. Um, how am I going to manage this, <laughs> you know? Um, so then that's when I started, like, thinking about other ideas of, like, sleep, um, living in, like, more affordable places. So before I even thought about the, the vehicle, I actually thought about living in an artist studio just not to get caught, <laughs> you know? So I actually did live in an artist studio for about three months uh in that semester in between but then eventually they did find out that i was living there so they evicted me um and then that's what that's brought me to the idea of just buying the vehicle and buying the rv <laughs> because that was that was the closest thing that i could obtain that kind of resembled the life that i had before right like the amenities that i needed um but that was also my first time buying a recreational vehicle so i didn't know what i was buying <laughs> you know i was just trying to buy something that would drive um but yeah, all the amenities in my vehicle didn't work. I didn't know that until I started living in it. Um, but yeah, it's like it's it's different when when the vehicle has to be off the grid, you know, because usually RVs are also connected to like places that have sewage, electricity, and that's what also keeps them functioning, right? Um, but it was a different different way of living when I had to actually park this on the street. And so, you know, so so it sounds like you took some of the savings that you had and and you made the decision to get this RV where you that, that's the same one where you're living in now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so you make this decision, you take your savings, you make this decision to get this this RV to go from this impossible to sustain renter lifestyle as a student. Um, how do you sort of get from idea 
to to actually like do you go on craigslist like how did you find and, and purchase your, your rv yeah so that was that was the hard thing because um Actually, when I had to buy the RV, I was visiting my parents in Chicago. And that's when I got the eviction notice. And then I knew I had nothing to come back to, right? <laughs> so then I was thinking, okay, I got to buy something. And then that's when I thought about, like, uh, buying the RV, right? But then... In Chicago. But we're in Chicago. It's like, where are you going to find an RV in Chicago? <laughs> like that. that was not easy. That was not easy at all. So it was me and my dad, like, looking over the summer, like, for two months, like, looking for a recreational vehicle in the Midwest where nobody really goes out camping <laughs> except for, you know, certain, like, very limited time. Um, so then we ended up having to drive out to the cornfields in Illinois, like, really far, you know. Uh, and then we bought this RV from, a, from an, uh, a lady that she had purchased it from the dealer. And basically, she just wanted to get rid of it. I think it had initially cost her, like, $15,000. But she only owed like six six thousand left on her on her basically what she needed to pay. So basically that's what we paid. Say just finish paying it and then you can have it. Uh, but the thing is like she only showed it to us while it was plugged into things, you know, like to her house, you know. So then I figured, oh, everything works, you know. Uh, but then later, yes, yeah, later later on, I found out that things didn't work on their own. <laughs> you know? So so why were well actually. So so, how do you go from you drive the RV like it, it worked enough that you could drive it from Chicago to the Bay Area? Yeah, we we actually had to work on it. So after we purchased it, we had to work on it for about a month to make sure that it can mechanically drive all the way because it was over two thousand miles just across the country, right? And this is a big rig. Like I never driven anything this big, uh, so that was scary, you know. And 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 also also because you're a big vehicle, everybody passes you on the highway. So that was also not easy. So just driving. Yeah. So like what two? What did you say? Two or three thousand miles? Uh... Yeah, it's like a two thousand and two hundred and thirty miles, I think. Okay, so so two thousand miles of like what driving at fifty miles an hour most of the yeah. time and getting passed over and honked at. Um yeah. And but but then you at some point you realize that like a lot of these amenities are not working. Like what what were some of those challenges? Yeah. Um, well, basically, the challenges was kind of like, you know, now I have to like change my lifestyle to kind of go around not having those amenities, right? Uh, so, for example, for the longest time, like the first year when I had the RV, I didn't really use anything in it. And that was also the first year where, that I still had left in going to school. Um, so I was I was experiencing this while trying to go to school and finish my, my degree. That was, yeah, that was too much. Because <laughs> you know, I'm trying to learn a new lifestyle and how to survive a new lifestyle, and also I'm trying to learn, you know, new skills so I can, you know, progress in my career. So that was hard, you know, that was challenging uh, to learn both at the same time. Um, yeah, but basically, so the first year, I basically used mostly the school amenities to just get by. So I would use my electricity, the like the shower, the bathroom, everything that I needed to do. I would just basically live in school, <laughs> and I would just come to the RV to just sleep you know my little cave because i didn't have any light so i would just be here in the dark <laughs> for the first oh year oh my goodness yeah because i don't have a so i don't have a generator the generator doesn't work in my rv and i didn't have solar i didn't know solar for the first year that i was living in, in a vehicle uh, now solar solar power changed my life you know <laughs> forever so do you Never. have like solar panels above mm -hmm. above your on the top of your vehicle okay wow yeah, and actually, my one of my neighbors he taught me how to like uh, hook hook them up. So now I hook them up for other people too, because dude, like power is a necessity. Like, 
it like it really that's the thing that keeps you connected and like i can just imagine like you know people not living with it it like it's hard <laughs> so yeah. yeah well i'm glad you're not living in the dark anymore <laughs> what about Me like uh, i know i <laughs> i know another big thing is hot water and it's just such a simple thing that we take for granted but it affects your whole day like what's yeah let's let's talk about hot water for a little bit yeah i mean hot water that's not that easy to to obtain it I mean, it's not easy to obtain water on the street period you know i mean people have to resort to stealing it you know stealing it from businesses or other residents or you know yeah it's hard because i mean if you were to buy your water like it's like a dollar a gallon you know and that really adds up um so that's not also financially sustainable for anybody that's in house to be doing that all the time i mean don't get me wrong people do buy their water but uh, having to buy your water to wash your hands, to flush your toilet, to like shower, like that's a lot. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so uh, so one of the things that we basically do in, in my community is that we just go to a nearby grocery store that has, you know, hot water available, but we usually have to go at night so that we're not getting in trouble with the workers that <laughs> we're using their water ticket. Uh, but that's how, how it goes, you know. So then you you start you started talking about a little bit about your community, right? And it sounds like it is it is a very tight knit community of vehicle residents in Berkeley. And so besides sort of having to learn all these life skills and handy woman skills and being in college and trying to, you know, improve your journalistic skills, on top of that, you also have to sort of integrate yourself into this community of people like how you know you, you're coming to the bay area you've got your rv like how how do you integrate into that like do you just park and, and start talking to people how does that work yeah it doesn't work that way sometimes uh, i actually tried doing that at the beginning because the first year i was mostly just parking on my own finding open parking spots moving every three days and that was while i was going to school so also searching for parking that was not easy um and that's why i ended up like staying together with other people because you know that way like you know you guys can stick together and you don't have to move as often and if you do then at least you're you know that you're protected and you know people that you know they can watch your belongings too like what's the process of of integrating yourself into that community you start from parking on your own and then you make the decision to kind of find a group of people how do you find them so that was the hard part. So at first, when I was parking on my own, I was individually talking to people. And and actually, I would make friends. Like, I, I, met, I met friends that eventually I saw parking at the Berkeley Marina because that's what ended up, everybody ended up getting together. Um, but basically, just parking on my own, it was like, it was harder to also maintain relationships, right? Because you you probably only meet this person for three days and then they're gone. <laughs> or then you had to be gone, right? Because you had to keep moving along. Um so even then, it's really hard to make connections or also feel like you're safe because you have to be constantly on the move. Um, so then that's when I decided to just go uh, park at the Berkeley Marina because then I noticed that was like there were more vehicles that were parked there. Uh, so then I figured, well, maybe this is safe, right? Because I, I can see other people that are here. Uh, and then eventually just parking there for more days, I started talking to people slowly. But actually, the, the first person that started talking to me was my little neighbor that he lives next door right now, too. Uh, his name is Theo, and he was five years old then. And then one time, he just uh, I was just outside my RV talking with somebody else that was like uh, living in their, on their boat. So I was talking to him, and then when I came inside my RV, 
he was inside me, and I was like, where'd you come from, you know? And he's like, where's <laughs> Yo, your this mom? this kid was inside your RV. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then he told me right away what his name was, like his full name. And then it's like, oh, you're so cute. Like, where's your mom? And then he's like, oh, we're in the RV down there. And then I went down there and, like, brought him to his mom. And then uh, we started talking, and then I started making more friends that way, too, you know? Um, but that was just interesting, too, like, the interaction. I mean, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you can just talk to people and make friends that way. Um, but it really helps to be able to have a location where we can all be together because then there's consistency, right? Then you actually get to know them versus having to move every three days. Um, so that's what really helped out um, to park at the Berkeley Marina because then we can stay stay together. And even though we, ended up, we only ended up staying there for about a year, a year together there because eventually the city asked us, asked us to leave uh, because there was too many vehicles. Like at one point there was over... 70 vehicles parked in a row of people living in their vehicles. <laughs> it was like trailers, cars, vans, any kind of vehicle, you name it. Uh, That's but that, a lot that whole of people. Row, there is a lot of people. Yeah, and each vehicle doesn't just have one person. Like, I mean, especially big vehicles will have like at least um, two, three people, families, because, I mean, they need the space. So Right. So we're talking about, about probably more than 100 folks that got yeah. moved around. So what... um. Was was this part of a legislation or or because it, it sounds like a like a game of, of cat and mouse that I've also seen it played out in San Francisco where these communities find each other. They start growing, supporting each other, because it sounds like you need a lot of community support to sustain this lifestyle. And then you get kicked out and you kind of have to find your, your, your like reestablish your community all over again or find a location over again. Like, how does that kind of play out in berkeley i mean it's i mean right now we're being able to stay together because of the pandemic because they were able to actually put like a just a halt into like towing or like you know moving people around for those reasons but now that everything's opening back up it's like we're returning back to the same thing again you know moving people around we're not actually giving them a place to go and i think that's going to be one of the problems we might face in the future uh, because we were already facing this before the pandemic. So actually in 2019, uh, the city of Berkeley had passed an ordinance where they banned, um, they banned recreational vehicles from parking from two in the morning to five in the morning, every single night. <laughs> You're not allowed to park like for anywhere, those, anywhere in the city. You're not allowed to park for just those three hours at night. <laughs> so basically the ordinance doesn't really make sense because who is benefiting from us not parking those three hours, you know, if you actually want to help, you know, the, the congestion traffic or in, in one area you would do that during the day not overnight so basically what they're trying to do is just make it inconvenient for people living in their vehicles to park you know to, to find a place to sleep <laughs> and and then so that that will make them move to another another city and the thing is that like these kind of bands they just they're in every bay area city you know san francisco has also an overnight uh parking ban for commercial vehicles and because of the sizes that recreational vehicles are, you know, of course, you know, they are included in the ban. So I think it's hard for like... They're, they're, sorry, they're considered for the purposes of this law, they're considered commercial vehicles, even though they're clearly not. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's because of the size. And that's one thing is like they're using ordinances that were already in place and they're just uh, amending them, you know, so they can include recreational vehicles and trailers and like just the vehicles that people live in so that, you know, this could be a way to ban them, but not not so directly, right? Not drafting a new law to say, hey, we don't want you in our city. Or we're just, we're just going to change this because it was already in place. Um, 
And because just of the sizes that these vehicles are, they, they could fall into the category of commercial vehicles, even though we're not commercially using them for anything. <laughs> yeah. It's really frustrating that all these cities that are supposed to be, you know, progressive in the Bay Area and be all about social justice and, and human rights and equity, they don't want to come out and directly say, we don't want you here. You can't be here. So they rather than changing the laws, sounds like they sort of chip away uh, using legislation that already exists. But you're really kind of chipping away and making it more and more and more difficult to live a lifestyle that's already challenging, um, which you started in the first place because you're trying to find some relief. And it's just so frustrating to hear this the cycle and and how legislation operates in a, in a kind of hypocritical way, um, in my opinion. Um, how do you, like, is there anything going on right at this moment that's, that's affecting you that you have to work around uh, like that or anything recent or in the horizon? So there is something on the horizon and actually, well, there's something right now that we're working around with, which is Basically, cities already started uh, ticketing people for for expired registration and for 72 hours for all those things that people were used to be targeted. That they're starting to do that over again, and and what's hard is that you know that just makes people more vulnerable to like already a hard situation when you know your home is at risk of being towed, right? And I feel like you know when we tow somebody's home, I think that's an extreme punishment for just owing a couple of hundred dollars. Because really, that's all they owe. The registration is probably 150. If they owe a couple of years, maybe 500 bucks. But you're basically taking away their entire life and then selling it on auction just for a couple of hundred bucks. And it's like really like I feel like the punishment is too harsh. You know, I have seen people's life deteriorate. You know, when their vehicle is taken away, and then they end up living in tents, and then because people are, you know, sad in this situation, then they ended up maybe using substance, substances that they shouldn't, you know, that they never used before. But, you know, it's hard to cope with this because you have just lost everything. And then they continue to also harass you because then when you're in a tent, you know, you cannot have, uh, in the city of Berkeley, you can't have more than nine square feet. So you cannot take up more than that, that area. So that basically a little square. Um, if they see you camping uh, in an area and, and, and it's bigger than that, they'll ask you to pack up and move. Um, so it's hard, you know, for people to even find any kind of, any kind of peace. <laughs> so, so sounds like you have a, a community right now. Um, like, how do you feel right now? Do you have like neighbors that you see regularly? Are you having to move your car at night? Like, what does that look like for you right now? Um, so right now we, we, so we haven't had to move as much. We only had to move for 72 hour tags because, um, they will chalk your tires. And if you don't move, they'll come back and be, you didn't comply. You have we can tell you now. I mean, this is clear evidence that you didn't move. Uh, so we do have to move along for those and to comply. Um, but that 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 has just recently stopped just because, I mean, we've been, we've been in this area for three years. They know that we don't move every three days. <laughs> like, we've been here, like, like, everybody knows. So I just feel like it's, instead of, like, wasting more time and effort to, to, to do that, why not actually assign a place in the city where people can park, you know, like, I think we're wasting more energy, time, and effort to just enforce these laws that really don't benefit anyone. Don't they don't benefit the city? They don't benefit the person that you know has to you know go over this. So I just think that 
it just they just need a different process you know people have to be we just have to take into consideration that people live in their vehicles that it's not just a vehicle it's not just an asset but this is this is people's home It's it's so sad what you described a few minutes ago about like if someone owes a registration that's a couple hundred dollars and their whole life can be appended and over something like that and 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 some folks that do, have not have to experience that really don't realize how quickly something like this can escalate a deterioration of your life as as a result of this legislation that's not it's not written with the humane sort of purpose in mind that's just like removing an inconvenience or 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 an eyesore which is such a such an unjust way to reduce what is actually a community of people just just trying to survive um what um so what kind of uh there's a lot of organizing as well right that, that goes on that you guys fight for for your rights um what's that scene like uh and and maybe the pandemic has put uh obstacles on that but is there like what's the activist activity the activist activity <laughs> what what's that like uh in in your world I mean, so right now we've been trying to help people. Like, there's been a lot of, like, sweeps happening in Berkeley. So what we're having to do is help a lot of people, like, you know, pack their belongings, try to find another spot where to camp. Um, so we've been having to do that with, their, with the camps that are along the freeway. Um, but for people that are living in their vehicles, uh, what we're really trying to do is help them also get registered, right? We're trying to help them, like, meet that, meet, basically get their paperwork, you know, legalized for their vehicles, not to get towed. Because I feel like at this uh, at this point, I, I don't know if, if the cities are going to understand that, you know, that taking somebody's home away for a couple hundred dollars, you know, it shouldn't be that way. I don't, but it's going to take so long for them to understand that. So what we're trying to do as activists is like, you know, we're trying to fundraise money to pay people's uh, registration um, because that way we can at least, you know, we can at least tell their cities we're trying to work with you, you know, try to work with us too. And, and really the challenges about getting their vehicles registered um it could be as easy as just paying those a, a couple hundred bucks or also sometimes the vehicles are too old that you know they also need vehicle repairs and if they don't pass mock they can't get registered so that's also one of the challenges and and honestly for the people that live in those older vehicles it's like that's all they can afford you know so we also shouldn't be unfair uh, just to throw these homes away just because these are the only things that people can afford like, if they could, of course, they will live in a better vehicle. Of course, they will want to, you know, something better for themselves. Uh, but they just don't have that opportunity. And then for you to just take away the little things that they have, like, how does that make anything better? Um, so so we're just hoping that at least we can help in that way. Um, just lessen, lessen the, basically, yeah, lessen the things that, that they can get told for so we're trying to help them with that is there like a like an organization or an association that that's behind some of this yeah so basically the organization that's behind this is uh it's called where do we go berkeley and it's a non-profit uh, based here in berkeley and basically it started as a movement of unhoused people that wanted to like stand up for their rights and then eventually we just became a non-profit uh, so yeah, that's what we're working on right now. Very cool. Um, so it, I imagine that there's probably people who are gonna listen to to our conversation and are gonna think, "Wow, 
$100, $200 can make or break someone's life. Uh, I have a couple hundred dollars sitting around. Do I send it to where do we go, Berkeley? Yeah. So the, uh, basically, if you go to our website, it's where do we go, Berkeley.org. Um, then you can see, like, you can read more about the things that, you know, the nonprofit has been doing for and fighting for. And you can read more about, yeah, who's part of the nonprofit. And, and we also have a donate link there. <laughs> you know, uh, homelessness is such a huge, complex topic that touches on topics of housing, of public safety, of public health, like just so many different things. And, you know, today we're kind of choosing to 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 learn a little bit about this very specific, you know, vehicle dweller, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, this very specific vehicle residents of the Bay Area and and those challenges and that's and that lifestyle. And so I'm glad that we're able to sort of uh, give something to our listeners because it can be really disempowering, obviously, to experience something like this, but also for those of us who who have the privilege of of, of living in traditional housing to hear these things and not know what to do. And, you know, knowing that at least $100 here and there can make a huge difference in a person's life. Um, I really hope that some of our listeners will will pick up on that opportunity uh, to support your work or the work of other, you know, groups that are that are working toward this in their own communities. Um, I'm curious. So, so you started. Uh, you got your RV. You said around 2017. You said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now it's going to be to a point where, like, half of the time you've been living has been during a pandemic (laughs) how like how did the onset of that pandemic change life for for you and other vehicle residents and I'm also curious about if people got infected in your community if people had to isolate like how did you deal with all that um yeah so being half and half a year yeah Uh, so basically it has changed things a lot I mean a lot of the public resources that people were used to using, you know, they were all closed. So like the grocery stores, the coffee shops, the restaurants, the libraries, you know, all these places that you used to charge to like, you know, just to be able to hang out and do your daily activities. Now they're all gone, you know. Um, so I'm pretty sure it has been hard for, you know, not just a lot of vehicle residents, but just on house people overall, you know, like they depend on these sources that are inside for them to do their daily activities. Um, and even now that we're coming back to reopening, like we're not coming back to reopening in the same way. Uh, for example, you cannot sit, you cannot linger at the library anymore. There's, there's a time limit. You can only stay there two hours and then you have to get out. Um, that doesn't give people enough time to actually do, do work, you know, or even for a lot of unhoused families that they have their children and they need them to go, you know, to do online work too, you know, two hours is not going to cut it. Uh, I actually know a lot of unhoused families um, that just sit outside the parking lot of the libraries just so that they can do things um, because they can't stay inside. So so it is difficult. And I feel like cities have not provided enough resources, you know, for for, you know, for them to be able to keep up with their daily activities. You know, even the gyms were closed for the longest. And how do you do your hygiene? Like, I feel like that was one of the biggest challenges um, trying to figure out my hygiene <laughs> during the pandemic. And it was nice that, you know, there were friends that would like, then you crash their showers once in a while. <laughs> because, um, I, I mean, I don't mind going to go get my water at night, but it can be also be 
it, it takes time, you know, it would take me at least half an hour to go, go get my water and then prepare it and then get the situation going. <laughs> so instead of just jumping in the shower for like 10 minutes and you're done, right? It's like, take right. the process. <laughs> this, this reminds me of a, of a really great video that you produced during the pandemic, which kind of showed your whole routine of how do you obtain water for a shower, what you're able to cook uh, or not able to cook. Um, and I really want to also direct our listeners so they can really get a very nice video snapshot of, of your day-to-day life. Um, what's the easiest way for people to find this video? Uh, you can go to the San Francisco Public Press YouTube channel. So we have a YouTube channel and you can just type in Quarantine Diary. Or you can just also type Quarantine Diary on YouTube and then you will find it. Oh, yeah. And I bet if I, if we Google Jessica Prado Quarantine Diary, it'll come up. Um, yeah, I, I really love that video. And I hope some people will take us up on, on really taking a closer look at what your day to day routine is like. Um, were there any COVID infections uh, amongst people living near you? Um, so the COVID infections luckily have not happened in our community. And I feel it's like because, you know, people live in their vehicles, right? So it's your own isolated shelter from everyone else. I mean, yes, we all linger in the street and talk to each other. But I mean, you come back to your own space, you know. Uh, so I feel like even people that were also like, you know, like healthcare workers or grocery workers, they were also quarantined in their vehicles just so they wouldn't go back home uh, and, you know, bring anything to their families. So I feel like a vehicle is a good alternative shelter you know, for that purpose, too. Um, so, yeah, luckily nobody has gotten sick here. Um, and they, we also had lifelong medical. They've been coming out to do COVID-19 vaccines to the community. They will come, you know, they did, like, several sessions to to let people know. But, I mean, there is hesitation amongst people. Like, it's not hard. Even after you explain to them what it is, you know, and everything, and you give them the paperwork, um, some people they didn't want to take the vaccine. So I would say, like, around you know, 50, 50% of the people in my community are also not vaccinated. So, so yeah, you have to kind of work that balance. <laughs> well, and, and when you talk about like, obviously there's, I imagine that part of it is an institutional distrust. Um, because when, you know, when you're describing some of the laws and legislation that you have to confront, um, it, 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 it made me think about that. Like, Sorry, I'm losing my my train of thought for a second. Um, yeah, so so when you're you have legislation coming at you that's telling you you don't belong here, you're an inconvenience, you're an eyesore. Um, when you're getting that kind of messaging from governmental institutions, and all of a sudden they say, "Oh, we want to help you. Here's a vaccine." I mean, I can understand and, and I'm pro-vaccine and I'm vaccinated, but I can absolutely sympathize with where people are coming from. If you're getting constantly this messaging of you don't belong, you don't matter, you're in the way, oh, all of a sudden you want to protect us. And so it seems that sometimes the message that is sent through this legislate through these types of legislations sends a message that discourages people from wanting to be maybe more civically involved and we 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 say things like all oh, these these folks keep to themselves but really we've built a whole system that shoves you to the side and then we're surprised when you don't want to come and sit at the table <laughs> right? yes. i mean what are your thoughts on that yes no it's true it's like 
we we have you know so like a society we have pushed people aside and i think there's definitely more things they could be doing to invite people to you know like for one we should just be listening to people the decisions that they want to make about their own lives like they have figured out a way to try to live on the streets you know make it sustainable you know make it affordable for them and actually try to continue you know with their lives and i feel like uh, yeah we as a, as a government they haven't really listened to to their constituents and i feel like that's why there is this lack of trust <laughs> and and it's gonna be and you have to gain that trust back you know and i think it's gonna take work it's not just gonna be um just good words are not gonna help you know they there has to be actions and and there has to be more actions than just giving them a vaccine you know like people need shelter you know if we need to shelter in place you need shelter <laughs> so i think if they really yeah. wanted to help you know we can start there <laughs> And that would actually mitigate also the spread of the virus, you know. If people have their own individual shelter, then, you know, no problem. I, I, I appreciate I appreciate your insights so much because, you know, sometimes we walk by or we drive by these communities and we don't know a lot about them. And you've shared a lot of really interesting information that I hope is empowering to people who are in this lifestyle or contemplating that lifestyle. But also for those of us who are more traditionally housed that... Um, obviously there's, there's a few tools that you've given us and way to support an organization that we can support and donate to, but like just on the day to day, like as a neighbor, like as a house person, what kind of things can I do or avoid doing on my day to day life to be a good neighbor to, to people who are my unhoused neighbors or my vehicle resident neighbors? Like how can I, as a house person, be a good neighbor to them? I mean, I think like the first. The first thing starts with acknowledgement, right? Like, I feel like a good morning or a hello, like, goes a long way. Like, you know, I grew up in Mexico, and I'm used to, like, people greeting each other, even if you're a stranger. Like, you greet them. It's like, ¿Cómo estás, doña? Hola, señito, you know? And, like, how come we don't do that here? Like, we don't we do not do that. We don't greet each other. So I feel like we, we need to break that, you know? We need to have more connection with one another, whether you're a stranger or not, like, you know? It starts with speaking, right? So we have to like speak to one another more. So I think that's something that you know that we can all do. That doesn't take any money. You know, we can do it. <laughs> so, um, and another thing is that we can also do is that, um, I mean, living in the Bay Area is expensive. You know, um, buying a meal is really expensive. Like you cannot buy a meal for less than twenty dollars. Like let's be real. If you want to eat, you need at least twenty bucks. <laughs> uh, so I think it also just helps that you know. Whenever we do see people asking money, you know, for food, like, you know, nobody should have to go hungry, right? So if there are means that, you know, you can share, you know, a couple of bucks for people to actually eat, or even you can even pack an extra lunch, you know, like, why not? Like, you have food in your home, pack an extra lunch and share yeah. it. And, and I've done that, you know, I pack extra lunches and I give it to my neighbors. Um, so I feel like that's something that we can all do. Like, it's like the little things, you know. And I feel like um, it's the little things that really matter to people and it just be, just being able to feel seen. And I think that's important. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. Um, I, I appreciate you so much. You're, you're such a good reporter and good person in general that I'm just like really glad that we had your perspective today. So I'm really looking forward to the second part of our conversation uh, at another time where we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about your reporting work uh, and your documentation work and the ethics of covering homelessness, which are really fraught. So I'm really, really looking forward to go deep in, in that knowledge that you have. Um, 
the next time that we sit down for a conversation. But uh, before we we close today's episode, I just wanted to ask if there's anything else that you would like to add that maybe we I didn't have a chance to ask you about your your personal experience. Well, there's a lot of things, <laughs> but I would say like one thing <laughs> is that um, maybe 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 one thing that to put it more into perspective for our community here, Latino communities like. We also have like um, we have a lot of a lot of undocumented immigrants that are on house, you know. And I feel like many of us that come to this country, like I came undocumented, and I think I had the privilege to have some family that was already here that really supported our family and actually having a place to live, having a place where we can, you know, uh, get ourselves back up, right? Um, but unfortunately, that's not true for a lot of undocumented immigrants, especially people that are fleeing their countries, you know, like this is the first time that they're trying to come to the United States and they don't have anybody to help them out. So a lot of them are starting from the bottom and that means that they're starting from the street. So I and, and I feel like a lot of them are also already living in fear because of our immigration system, because of the way that things are built. So not only you're afraid of being, you know, undocumented in this country but you're also afraid of all the things that you know on house people have to go through so there's just like you know that's like, you know, another set of laws that are against them you know um so i just feel like we also had to like help each other out more in that manner that you know right now we have a lot of a lot of a lot of refugees that are coming to the united states and from different kinds of countries not just latin america like from all over the world you know and i feel like we really have to address this problem of like how people living in extreme poverty here, because otherwise we're really going to have a bigger problem in our hands, you know, when we have more people coming here that also need those resources. And they shouldn't be turned away because, you know, the United States caused a lot of problems to begin with, you know, it's their intervention that caused all these ripple effects. And this is why people are here. Like if I could, I would have liked to also stay in my country, you know, I would have liked to be able to grow up in Mexico and I have to go through this journey that you know, really scar my life and also, and also it changed it forever, right? Um, but I just feel like, you know, as a first world country, you know, we really have to help everybody to live equally. And right now, this, that's not the case. Um, so I just hope that we can see, we can see the United States hopefully open their arms more to the people that are going to be coming more here for help but also you know they also need to have the courage to help their own people that are here on the streets wow well that's um thank you for for bringing all of those different perspectives because it the united states has definitely lost a lot of empathy somewhere along the way uh became a country that went from embracing uh, different perspectives different cultures to now you know, wanting to close those doors, wanting to reject, wanting to make people go through some really difficult things to either prove their worthiness to society or <laughs> I don't know what, putting all these barriers to just being able to stay afloat, um, which shouldn't be a luxury. And, you know, this, this pandemic obviously has shaken a lot of things where people are waking up, people are quitting their jobs because they don't, they're not well treated, you know, and, and I think people are waking up to a lot of things. And I really hope that that translates to the way that we take care of uh, unhoused neighbors, of our refugee neighbors, um, of so many people that are struggling with, with so many different situations. Um, we're all in some kind of struggle. So we have to support each other and see the humanity in each other and, 
and you've really brought that into that perspective into focus today with your with your experiences and um I'm really looking forward really really to to getting more in depth because this is a really big conversation so um thank you so much Jessica for having shared your your personal experiences and your personal challenges um with this and um yeah you give so much of yourself like <laughs> I really appreciate you yeah no and there's so much to do right like I feel like yeah there's a lot more to do but I think we can all do something and we should start there yeah and uh and I think that our listeners will have at least a little bit not just knowledge of what it's like to go through this lifestyle but also now a little knowledge on how to help out whether that's financially or signing a petition or just saying hello to your neighbor um that's that's it really starts there and just seeing the dignity um and the humanity in each other it really has to start there um so thank you so much jessica for for being on today's episode yeah no thank you thank you for having me Thank you for listening to Radio Teco, the podcast of El Tecolote, California's longest-running bilingual community Latino newspaper. If you enjoyed listening to this episode and are looking for more of our content, please visit our website, eltecolote.org. And if you value bilingual storytelling and would like to support our next 50 years of community journalism, please consider making a donation or sign up to volunteer.